listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. With me once again is my co-host, Cindy Johnson, the legendary operations manager of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses, a chapter of the American Lighthouse Foundation. Hi, Cindy. (laughs) I don't know about that, but happy to be here. Hi, Jeremy. This is episode 78 of Lighthearted, slated for August 31st, 2020, which is the last Monday of the summer before Labor Day weekend. The American radio and television host Arthur Godfrey was born on this date in 1903. He once said, quote, I know how I like to be treated, so I always start by saying, could you give me a moment of your time? I know you're very busy, and usually they will, unquote. And I remember Arthur Godfrey being on TV all the time when I was a kid. And I think that's the best advice I've heard in a while. <laughs> on today's episode of Lighthearted, we're going to visit Staten Island, New York, very exotic place, <laughs> to learn about the National Lighthouse Museum and to meet its executive director, Linda DeAnto. The National Lighthouse Museum is in a very important location in relation to American lighthouse history. Cindy, please help me tell our listeners about the location and our guest. Will do. Beginning in 1799, the present site of the National Lighthouse Museum on the north shore of Staten Island was the location of the New York Marine Hospital, which was New York's first line of defense against immigrant-borne infectious diseases like smallpox, cholera, typhus, and yellow fever. The U.S. Lighthouse Service constructed the Staten Island Lighthouse Depot on the former hospital site. The depot, which began operation in 1864, was the key manufacturing, storage, supply, and maintenance center for the Lighthouse Service's third district. The Staten Island Depot reached its peak size during and after the First World War. In its heyday, the depot consisted of 18 buildings and a series of piers created to design, fabricate, and repair lighthouse equipment. This activity included experimentation on lamps, illuminants, and Fresnel lenses. With the Lighthouse Services merger into the U.S. Coast Guard in 1939, the Staten Island Depot continued its work, but during the Second World War it became more of a ship repair and outfitting space as many Coast Guard cutters, buoy tenders, and patrol craft used the depot for repainting, arming, and repairs. By 1950, the depot was one of the Coast Guard's major supply depots in the Northeast. But in the 1960s, budget cuts led to much of the workload being transferred elsewhere. By 1965, the Staten Island Depot was closed. Then in 1978, the Coast Guard donated the property to the city of New York. Several buildings were removed to make room for a Staten Island Ferry maintenance facility, which utilized the former depot's piers. In 1998, the American Lighthouse Coordinating Committee issued a nationwide request for proposals, RFP, for a National Lighthouse Center and Museum. Seventeen proposals were submitted from groups around the country. After a series of presentations and deliberations, the former site of the U.S. Lighthouse Service Depot at Staten Island was selected as the winner. After a number of years of inactivity, a new board of trustees and a group of museum advisors and friends have revived the museum. A lease agreement was signed for the museum's educational resource center and the depot's building 11, and a museum opening and ribbon cutting ceremony was held in August 2015. The museum has a number of permanent exhibits and changing special exhibits, as well as special events that include lectures and boat tours. 
Linda DeAnto has served as president and is currently the executive director of the museum. She holds a variety of degrees and certificates from the College of Staten Island and New York University and had an extensive career in healthcare and administration. Her career has also included finding support for causes such as building a playground for the disabled, organizing a domestic violence awareness bookmark campaign entitled Loves Me, Loves Me Not, educating young girls on positive relationships, and working on environmental issues. For more than a decade, Linda has devoted her energies to the cause of reviving the National Lighthouse Museum. I had the pleasure of speaking with her in late July. Let's listen to that conversation now. I am here with Linda DeAnto, the National Lighthouse Museum, and before we get started, I just want to mention that I'm here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and it's been hot and humid here lately, and we're having some thunderstorms this afternoon. People might hear some rumbles of thunder in the background, so I just want to explain that starting out. So uh, how's the weather uh, on Staten Island, Linda? The weather is very hot and muggy outside, so it is a little bit... uh tough, tough times, uh, very, very warm. And uh, it's been that way for a couple of days now. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being with me today, Linda. I understand you have uh, some deep roots on Staten Island. Could you tell us what, what is your family's connection? Well, I go back to my grandmother lived on Staten Island uh, way, way, way back. I remember coming here as a child and visiting with her, my grandmother and grandfather. And um, then I eventually, uh, we moved to Staten Island when I was 13, and I married someone from Staten Island, and uh, here we are, we're still here. And what kind of work and volunteer experience did you have, and how do you think that background helped prepare you for your work at the National Lighthouse Museum? Well, actually, my background is varied. I, I studied to become a teacher, and I was a teacher for several years, and then eventually I became the director of therapeutic recreation at very uh, nursing homes uh, throughout the area. Uh, my jobs grew, and, um, and I worked in healthcare for quite a long time doing planning of recreational activities for the disabled. I had a lot of transferable skills that I got throughout the years working in healthcare and working as a teacher and working as a volunteer in many capacities for a variety of organizations. And what exactly led you to the National Lighthouse Museum? Well, someone, um, I had read in the paper that the museum was, as they say, as it said, dead in the water at the headlines of our local paper. And I said, I, what's going on here? So I had somebody actually bring me to the site. When I saw the site, I was like, whoa, how could we lose this uh, museum for Staten Island, uh, a national museum, when I know they've worked so hard to get it there? So I started to figure out how I could save the museum. I'm kind of like a, a a missionary for saving things. And I've had a history of doing that throughout my career in various different groups. So I said I would try to save this museum. If they needed fundraising, if that was the problem, I would do that. I'm used to fundraising. That was an area that I enjoyed doing. So here I am. So it had to be a a real struggle to keep going during all those years it took to get the museum open. And I'm wondering what your motivation was to keep it up uh, through that struggle. Well, part of my motivation was at first I just took on the project because I thought it was the right thing to do. And then I realized my brother who died of pancreatic cancer back in uh, 2001, early 2001, um, he always wanted the museum to open. 
And uh, my sister-in-law reminded me of that, that your brother always wanted that museum. Uh, he thought it was, it was a big history buff. And I says, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that. I was kind of led to this site and to save this museum and not realizing that maybe it was my brother that was behind this all. But anyway, so that just reinforced the fact that I had to uh, deliver this museum. So wow. it's been a tough time. We went through a lot with Hurricane Sandy. There was water in the museum, and now we're into COVID and a lot of other things that have come. A lot of obstacles, I'd like to say, is two steps forward, three steps back. So um, most recently, we're dealing with Princess Anne is was planning to come to the museum in next uh, this coming fall, actually. And we were all excited about that. And she was going to be the chair of uh, the uh, campaign to illuminate future generations. And uh, she still is. But obviously, with the pandemic, she will not be coming in the fall. And we're postponing that to the following fall. In a sense, a little setback amongst others, but life goes on and we will continue forward. So Linda, could you tell us a little bit more exactly what, what is your role as director of the museum? Well, initially I began as the president of the museum and eventually uh, after five years, I became the executive director. Uh, and my role of course is to keep us on track and to make sure that we're heading in the right direction. Our goal is to expand into the next building. So we're in our first building, 2,500 square feet, and our goal is to go to a 25,000 square foot building right next door. And we are in historic buildings, and we're trying to preserve two of those buildings. The rest are being preserved, but they have not been, uh, they have been taken from the museum, and they will be turned into other types of operations. Why do you think the American Lighthouse Coordinating Committee chose Staten Island? I'm backing up here in history quite a bit now, but why, why do you think they originally chose Staten Island as the site for the National Lighthouse Museum? I, I know there was a lot of competition back then. I remember it very well. And so what, what do you think makes Staten Island the ideal place for the museum? Well, Staten Island is the ideal place for several reasons. One is the fact that it was the site of the U.S. Lighthouse Service General Depot. And uh, the other one is because of its close proximity to the Staten Island Ferry. Thousands and thousands of tourists take that ferry every year. I would say millions, uh, some odd million, two, three, four million every year. And they come and they walk, can walk over to the museum. It's about a two-minute walk over. So we are in the heart of, in many senses, uh, of New York City. The Statue of Liberty, which at one point was a lighthouse under the jurisdiction of the U.S. Lighthouse Service, is a, a feature, a, a tourist uh, attraction, and everybody takes the uh, ferry to see the um, lighthouse, and then they can easily walk over to the museum and learn more about the histories. Plus, we're on the water. We have an 850-foot pier with a view of the Statue of Liberty and also a view of the Verrazano Narrows Bridge. Now, Linda, you, t you touched on this a little bit already, but uh, maybe we can get into a little bit more detail. Could you tell me again what part of the old lighthouse depot, depot have, has been utilized so far for the museum and what plans are there to utilize more of the site? The uh, Building 11 right now uh, is the uh, building we're in, the closest to the water. That's our first building. And uh, we plan to move to Building 10, which was the lamp shop. Building 11 was a foundry at one point and a mechanic shop. 
and uh, the building next door, building 10, is a, uh, was a lamp shop. So those are the two buildings we plan to work with. And we have plans in place to expand. And that's the reason why we began a campaign to eliminate future generations and to complete this project. We're estimating $35 million to do this. And that is our goal. Some of it is to sustain operations. And $5 million is actually $10 million is to uh, create an endowment. We do not have an endowment. And of course, at this time during COVID period of time, uh, not having an endowment is a serious problem. We have no money to lean on right now. And that's why that is crucial to the uh, sustainability of any museum in this day and age. So let's talk a little bit about programs. I know uh, I'm on your email list, so I get a lot of emails of your, your various uh, programs and events you have. So I know there's a lot, even through the, this whole pandemic period, it seems like you, you have a lot going on. So could you tell us a little bit about some of the programs that the museum has, has uh, started you know, since, since it opened? Sure, yes. Uh, the education programs are our brilliant minds work on weekends. It's an intergenerational program. And uh, we have families coming with their children and they're learning together about lighthouses. And it's really a very effective program and the kids love it and the, and the parents do also. Uh, we also do a lot of lectures. We do a lecture a month, a maritime focused lecture. We have right now we're doing, uh, depends if you want to talk about the virtual events or our hands-on events, uh, Lighthouse of the Week we've been doing for the last couple of months since the COVID began. We have initiatives for a CASA program, which is an after-school adventure program sponsored by the City of New York. So we're teaching maritime education in the schools. And um, of course, that's been put on a hold right now. And we're trying to turn that into a virtual operation also. And then, of course, we do Lighthouse Weekend. And uh, I think of all these events that we do and um, how we have to modify them or not have them, which is kind of sad. Yeah. And cruises. Cruises. Those are my lighthouse boat cruises. Uh, those are seasonal tours. And we uh, really, those are wonderful boat tours. They're well received. We go up the East River, uh, up out to Execution Rock. So we go up the... Hudson River to uh, Tarrytown Light. Uh, we go around Staten Island, a circumnavigation of Staten Island. And uh, we go over to Sandy Hook uh, and Twin Lights over in New Jersey, Coney Island. And those tours have become a, uh, a staple for fundraising for the museum, as well as a great educational opportunity to teach people about lighthouses. We have over 35 lighthouses in the New York City, New Jersey area. Right. And the boat leaves right from our site. We worked very hard to get a boat to leave right from our location. I wish you were doing those cruises back around 2008 when I was writing a book on lighthouses of uh, New York Harbor and the Hudson uh, River. That would have made it a lot easier. <laughs> I had to char <laughs> charter boats in some cases to see some oh, of those. No. <laughs> yeah, but I, I enjoy Can always come back. Oh, I will. I can't wait to get back because I haven't really seen uh, what you've accomplished there uh, so far. That would be great. So. Yeah, got to get back. Uh, so are, are there more? Uh, I know a lot of things are so up in the air these days with the pandemic and everything, but do you have any particular programs that are in the works at this point? Any new things? Well, we are working on immigration uh, initiatives. The uh, site of the museum is also the site of uh, the um, quarantine station. And so we are 
part, we're looking at our um, our operations to understand that there's more that happened on the site than the U.S. Lighthouse Service. We have Indians that the Lenape Indians were there. There's a lot of site history that we're trying to capture. And we are working on, we do a fig fest there. We do a Lighthouse Point Fest. Uh, we have a lot of great programs that are happening. And also I was saying a little bit about Princess Anne uh, coming to the United States for us in the fall. And I just recently heard yesterday that that will be put on hold. We also have a, um, we have a gala coming up, a virtual gala. So maybe you'll come to our virtual gala uh, mm-hmm. on August 7th, uh, Lighthouse Weekend. It's going to be different. We're trying to make something work that uh, is, again, a lot of uncharted territory there. And the right. princess will come to the party, too. So uh, that'll be good. Well, that, those all sound like great programs. Uh, if we could talk just a little bit about the exhibits, what, uh, could you describe uh, a bit about the exhibits that have been developed so far at the museum? What is there now? Yeah, the uh, Wall of Lights is an exhibit of all lighthouses, uh, many of them that have been sponsored throughout the United States and some foreign lights also. We have a timeline of history that goes back to uh, Paris in Egypt and covers all the um, lighthouse history uh, from that time forward and another timeline that talks about the history of the site. We have an exhibit on the um, light keepers and uh, different stories about the light keepers, uh, some special keepers out there and many others that we are not able to share but with, that's our future is to be able to tell more about the keepers of all these lighthouses throughout the world. And also, uh, we have a history of the site, site history uh, exhibit, and a, a history of, of the uh, lights, the Fresnel lights, and of uh, Mr. Fresnel. I was looking at the, the website for the National Lighthouse Museum, and there's a pretty extensive mission statement on the website. But I'm wondering if what you see as, as is there's kind of an overriding mission, something you can sum up uh, succinctly. What is the overriding mission for you of the National Lighthouse Museum? Well, the overriding mission is to preserve and educate on the maritime heritage of lighthouses, lightships, and the history, stories of their keepers and families. And uh, at some point, we will probably modify that a bit. Our mission statement, uh, we're looking at that a little closer now, maybe when we have a little time to try to make this slight change to add on a little bit more. In 2019, last year, the National Lighthouse Museum was made the steward of the Staten Island Lighthouse, also known as the Staten Island Rear Range Light. It's a beautiful lighthouse tower. I think it's a very handsome tower. So uh, in this case, what does the stewardship of that lighthouse mean exactly to the museum? Well, it means the maintenance of the grounds. It means the maintenance of the interior and the exterior. We're working very closely with the Coast Guard to keep this going. And that we have a very nice family, the Esposito family, whose dad kept the light many years ago. And uh, the family comes to maintain those grounds. So they do it as a project in memory of their dad. So we have a job to to keep it going and that is a lighthouse that we want to complete because princess anne when she ever arrives in the united states to visit us will tour that lighthouse so our goal is to complete the uh repainting the interior in the next uh couple of months oh neat it's a beautiful lighthouse and i actually uh spoke to joe esposito on the phone a couple of times years ago and wrote an article about him so 
I know a little bit about that, ah. that history. I'd like to go back a minute to the history of the site. Could you say a little bit about the Romer Shoal Lighthouse and how its early history is tied in with the, the Lighthouse Depot there on Staten Island? Sure. Everybody always asks when they get to our museum, well, where's the lighthouse? And that's the big <laughs> question of the day. Here we are, the center of all lighthouse operations in the United States is the main depot and no lighthouse. So at one point, there were two lighthouses on the site. Uh, the Romuchol, of course, is now named Romuchol, was on the museum site, and it was used to test wicks and fuels. And... Um, Eventually, they did a lot of repurposing back then also, and they picked up that lighthouse, and they needed a lighthouse down in the uh, Raritan Bay area, so they put it out there, and there it stood. And we were talked about, over the years, we had talked about maybe bringing that lighthouse back. Uh, it sustained tremendous amounts of damage during Hurricane Sandy, but uh, right now, it's owned now by uh, John Vincent Scalia, a, a local funeral director. Ah. So uh, we know him, and I don't know, there was a lot of thought about where we were going with that, but it's still out there, and it has a lot of damage still that has not been repaired. Iron caisson lighthouses uh, don't hold up that well if they're not, not maintained pretty uh, That's what they're finding constantly. out. I think they have a 100-year life expectancy or so. After 100, it starts to crumble. Um, unless you maintain it. And we did lose, I don't know if you're going to ask me this question, but about the old Orchard Lighthouse. Uh, we lost that lighthouse back in um, Hurricane, Sandy. Hurricane Sandy. Yeah, 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 I'm aware of that. I wasn't going to ask you about that, but it's a perfect oh. example of how we have to work so hard to preserve these lighthouses. And no matter, Absolutely. to some, some extent, you know, some of it's beyond our control, but all we can do is the best we can. But yeah, yeah that was a, a sad loss for, the, for your area there. We've touched on the pandemic at least a couple of times already, but are there any plans? You probably can't say exactly when the museum's going to re reopen fully. Well, are you? We're speaking in late July. Let me just say that we're speaking on July 23rd, but people won't be hearing this until late August. But at the time we're speaking, is the museum open at all at this point? Actually, physically open? Well, we're we're in phase four right now in New York City. Uh, we were supposed to open in phase four. And we were told on Monday, because I had put together a, a policy uh, for opening, and uh, that was Monday, and it, it did not happen. And we were hoping it would, so we don't know what the next steps are going to be with malls and uh, indoor uh, events and museums. So we're in position to open tomorrow. We have all our plexiglass in place. We have all our six-foot distancing spots in place. Uh, we have all the uh, sanitizer you could possibly use, but um, we just want it. We need to go. Yeah. So that's where we're at. Well, I wish you all the, the best with that. It's just so, so crazy. And most of the lighthouses, certainly in New England, have been uh, closed for the season and probably won't reopen until till next year. Just a little little bit more here. I'm just wondering, uh, it sounds like the museum is, is very accessible. People don't need to necessarily drive there. It's accessible easily by public transportation via the ferry or buses and so forth. Sure. We're a two-minute walk from the Staten Island Ferry, so that is able to reach anybody coming over on the ferry from Manhattan. But it's a hub for all other, for our buses or trains, they all come to the ferry. So everything mm -hmm. leads to the Staten Island Ferry. And uh, we have parking on site and um, there's a lot going on. They also just open 
clouds right nearby, uh, just on the opposite side of the ferry. And, um, uh, and we have a ballpark. And again, a lot of it is not happening, though. But uh, we are there. And it is really somewhat convenient to get to by public transportation. The Staten Island Ferry is one of my favorite things uh, around there, by the way. I've, I've used it many times. Being free, how many things are free these days? Not too many. <laughs> yeah. I have one last question for you for bonus points. For you personally, what has been the most fun part of your involvement with the National Lighthouse Museum? Well, the mon- most fun part is meeting some really um, wonderful people. I think that's been my best reward in this experience. Like I always say, if I knew then what I knew now, would I have taken on this project? But I have met some wonderful, wonderful people. And I think that's really the most important part of my uh, good experience, my it, being able to go visit a lot of lighthouses and try to reach the goals that I've set for myself and trying to open the museum and go open the other building. That now is where I'm at. I, I hope that I will be able to achieve this, what I want to do and, and move on and expand to the next building in my lifetime. And I have my fingers crossed that we're going to make it happen. Well, I'm sure you will, and I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. But with your determination, I don't think we need to have our fingers crossed. I'm sure you're going to succeed. And Linda DeAnto, thank you so much for spending this time with me. And it's been wonderful to see the progress you've made because I saw what happened with the earlier failed attempts. And, uh, you know, it's it's such a worthy project. And I, again, just uh, keep up the good work. Congratulations on what's been done. Good luck with everything. Good luck through all this, these tough times this year and hang in there. And uh, I look forward to, uh, I'll, I'll try to att- attend your, we're speaking before your virtual event you're going to have on August 7th. I hope to attend that. This will be on the podcast after that, but you'll be having more uh, virtual events. I'm sure that people can attend are listening to this. Absolutely. Right. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Have a great day. You too. Thank you, Linda. Stay, stay cool. Here's a little more about lighthouse depots. Until 1852, lighthouses were a collateral duty of the local collector of customs. During the first half of the 19th century, the collectors of customs established crude buoy depots at which to store spare buoys and supplies. After the Civil War, the Lighthouse Board realized there was a need for a super depot, a facility to receive and inspect all oil, lenses, and supplies before the material was transferred to various district depots. The site chosen for the super depot was federal property on Staten Island, New York. As we've already discussed, the depot at Staten Island grew into a major facility in the years that followed. Each of the 12 lighthouse districts was given a formal lighthouse depot for the storage of critical supplies and for the establishment of a district machine shop, carpenter shop, and lampist shop. These storehouses were used to store items such as wicks, glass chimneys, keeper's tools, and oil for lamps. In addition, whale oil, and later lard oil and kerosene, were tested at each depot to be sure they were of the high quality needed for use in the lighthouses. The larger districts sometimes had a second kind of depot where buoys were repaired and stored. In some cases, these depots were used for buoy storage only. Besides the ones on Staten Island, some depot buildings in other locations have survived. An example is the Detroit Lighthouse Depot, built in the early 1870s. The beautiful three-story brick building later became part of U.S. Coast Guard Group Detroit. 
More recently, it's been transferred to the city of Detroit, which plans to use it as a museum. You can read much more about the history of lighthouse depots in the United States in an article by Wayne Wheeler and Tom Tagg on the U.S. Lighthouse Society website. Just go to uslhs.org and enter Lighthouse Depots in the search box. My thanks again to Linda Dianto, Executive Director of the U.S. Lighthouse Museum, for today's interview. For more on the museum, check out lighthousemuseum.org. Thank you, as always, to the staff, volunteers, and members of the United States Lighthouse Society and its chapters and affiliates. Be sure to go to uslhs.org to read about the many things the Society has to offer. And don't forget, if you enjoy this podcast, please become a member of the Society or consider a donation to help support it. A shout out to the American Lighthouse Foundation, the Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Association, and all the lighthouse groups on all the coastlines of the U.S. If you're part of a lighthouse organization and are interested in having the organization featured on this podcast, please email me at jeremy at uslhs.org. All of us in the lighthouse preservation world are on the same team, and we want to help you get the word out. Lighthouses speak to our souls, and it's hard to imagine a world without them. As Winston Churchill once said, quote, We shape our buildings, thereafter our buildings shape us, unquote. We urge you to do what you can by making a donation of time or money to your favorite lighthouse organization. Times are tough in this country for everyone right now, but it's at times like these that nonprofit preservation organizations need your help the most. If you listen to this podcast through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. As always, thank you for listening and keep a good light. Let it shine, let it shine